Hello and welcome to the first ever experimental and, you know, possibility of uh, a podcast called Or Perish, brought to you by Moya and Nsung. Uh, we are faculty at Northeastern University and we are playing a little bit with that adage that we were all taught in graduate school on our road to becoming faculty that one must publish or perish. And we are really playing around with the or perish because actually that's where the fun happens. So uh, our first ever experimental possibility model episode, we want to talk about something that brings us joy and has nothing to do with our writing and or, uh, you know, scholarly endeavors, which would be, of course, doing what academics do is taking a critical look at one of our favorite TV shows. Right. So the subtext of or like the subtitle of or perish might be feminist hot takes or just like the hot take of the thing that we've been thinking a lot about. Absolutely. So if you aren't familiar, uh, there is a wonderful show on HBO called Euphoria, and it stars, among others, Zendaya, who is an incredible actress. And I want to say before we really get into the recap that this is where the spoilers begin. So if you haven't seen it, we suggest you stop and go watch all eight episodes (laughs) of the first season. Right. Uh, So we thought that this show was one of the more exciting um, shows that we had watched in a very long time in terms of how many layers there are to each character. And there are so many kind of characters of color and the way that high schoolers are represented is almost without morality, um, without kind of this like moralizing stance around what they do. And so we were really excited. And we also felt um, what perhaps academics feel, uh, like that there were certain characters or certain dynamics of the show that um, we hoped could be pushed more. For example, um, how is race dealt with in Euphoria? And I would say it's almost not dealt with. Um, It almost feels like raceless casting, uh, which is unfortunate. And then um, how, who are the characters that receive explorations and who are the characters who actually, I think, really require explanation or exploration? Um, so those are some of the things that we were hoping to talk about today. Yes. And to add to that, I think gender and race, the way that they intersect on the show is really interesting, right. given that Rue, played by Zendaya, we have a lead character of color, uh, which is unusual, I think, mm-hmm. for a high school drama. But in some ways, her her race and her gender are not really centrally discussed. Right. And so there are drawbacks and I think uh, some potential important elements that that provides. So we'll uh, give you a little bit of the context of the show and then uh, say a little bit more about the characters. So Zendaya plays Rue Bennett, who is a young girl who is 16, 
who has just returned from rehab, uh, having uh, presumably conquered an addiction to painkillers, alcohol, etc. And uh, we quickly learned that that rehabilitation did not take, and Zendaya starts using again, but meets a new friend, Jules, who gives her a bit of the courage to try and be sober again. Uh, and Jules has her own complicated story. Do you want to say a little bit about Jules? Yeah, so Jules is a, a fascinating character in, in that um, Jules, uh, like Jules's gender ide- identity is not necessarily something that um, she actually kind of announces until I think something like episode four or five. But we slowly see that she um, is a trans girl. Um, she says the word trans kind of almost like in the middle of episode four, uh, but not um, until then. And it's actually never really discussed by any of the other characters as well, which is quite fascinating and interesting. Um, and also, I think, strange, because I actually think she's a character who is uh, not as explored as um, some of the others, particularly Nate, who I think um, is actually incredibly explored throughout the show. So Rue um, mo- recently moved from the city it's really unclear which city uh and her mother is not in the picture but her father is in the picture her father does seem quite supportive of jewels jewels yeah oh did i say rue again (laughs) oh my gosh i like keep like interchanging them for some reason (laughs) no worries um, so uh jewels um her mother is not in the scene we learn later on that her mother was perhaps um no, not perhaps, like actually very violent towards um, Jules when she was a child and then is like essentially not in her life. But her father seems very open and inviting. Um, We also sort of see immediately that Jules is um, meeting older men, um, older men and engaging in kind of like what is almost like an online romance but not just like hooking up with men that she meets online and that is something that is sort of posited immediately about her absolutely do you you want to say anything more about no i think that's like a good introduction to like the key characters Mm -hmm. and kind of what the setting is and i think one of the reasons that we were excited about talking about the show was not just uh exploring some of the race gender dynamics but also what this means in terms of the generations right and i wanted you to kind of yeah so so, more. <clears throat> so something that is brought up immediately in the show is that rue has a line where she says something like we didn't build this system or i didn't build this system nor did i fuck it up and um we thought that that was such an interesting sort of way to open the show and um, especially because it touches on the kind of critique I think that younger generations receive and I don't want to I don't want to speak for you but I feel like we're kind of in this like very strange generation space where watching this show like I didn't grow up like that but at the same time like I I grew up knowing that that is what the acceleration would be like there was uh, 
like a culture of a certain kind of um, like quick communication, like texting was something that like all of my friends did all the time. And I think that the way that everything from like sexting to like nudes to drugs um, and partying and being a teenager, the way that it's discussed uh, in perhaps every other visual landscape or in the news is that it's it's almost like a, these kids are making very bad choices. It's a, it's a moralizing like, oh, they shouldn't have taken those pictures. Like, why are they so reckless? It's about sort of um, the morality flaw. And I think that uh, this show actually kind of allows us to see that these are systems that the, 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 the characters and the teenagers in particular are navigating because these are the systems that were in place while they were growing up. Um, so it kind of shifts, I think, the conversation. And then something that I um, have been thinking about because um, a friend of mine, Maya, pointed me to a text by Margaret Mead, the anthropologist, and her writing on like generational divide is that like oftentimes um, like older generations will start feeling like they're almost immigrants of time, right? Like you're like, the, the, the landscape that you live in is no longer, or like the landscape of the future that you thought you knew is no longer the landscape that like younger people are living in. And I think you can accurately see that in this show that the what they're going through and what they're living is really very different from how I grew up and how I'm going to continue to sort of think about the future. And I'm really interested in that this is, um, I'm, I'm interested in their stories and I want it to be told without a sense of like blame or shame. Um, yeah. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. And I think it, it does that. I think that what is exciting about the show is I don't, feel as though we are blaming or shaming the right. characters. As an audience, I don't think we're being called to do that. I think as an audience, we're getting a lot of information about some of the characters that provides empathy and an understanding of why they might make the choices that they make. However, that is not extended to all characters exactly. equally. And so one of the challenges that we see is how, even though it's doing this groundbreaking work, of not shaming these young people, our same societal uh, forces that of racism and sexism and transphobia still end up enacted in this show that yes. is doing such great work tearing down some of these other barriers. And I think that's one of the things we want to talk about further as we explore each character is how sexuality, violence, race, etc. all come up mm -hmm. in the story, in the narrative, and don't actually uh, get us to where we might want to be. Right. There's, there's definitely some uh, work to be done in terms of how this show could go a bit further. Right. Uh, or like space where um, we can, like us on this podcast, but just us overall, could take what is left unanswered or take the limitations and push the conversation farther. Um, so just because we have critiques of what's happening doesn't mean that 
we think that that is the comp that that like that's the end of it like we're actually hoping that it could be continued rather than it just being like oh well like you didn't address this so absolutely um and i think that's one of the reasons we were excited to do this is because we have a lot of love for this show exactly and i think we started by or one of the things we talked about very early on was trying to assign astrological signs <laughs> to, yes. to and the so different that characters. Yes, and so can be forgotten um, as so, we do yeah. this. So, oh, yeah. So I think we'll go into the characters now and, like, think about them. But did you want to Yeah, I just wanted to say one last thing about, like, the generation. And I, it, I think that the one thing that the show does that I've never seen before in any other kind of TV or film or media is that the parents are both complex characters and also absent and so you really get to grapple with um, their complexity and their absence also without blaming or shaming the parents so uh, this isn't my desire I'm not saying this because I want to see more of the parents I actually don't know if I do (laughs) but I appreciated that because I don't think that that absence is um, I, I think that it's not just like a fault in the writing or a fault of the show but I do think it's like the actual their absence is the presence in so many of their lives oh absolutely like it's 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 a like a present absence or something and um I don't think we ever really see that like we don't see like this like father who like wants to so much be with their child and like is working too hard like it isn't this like sentimental representation of of parents it's 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 a it's a it's a stark representation and I think that's really fascinating yeah yeah well I would add to that as it does strike me as like consistent with like 80s like teen adventures so I'm thinking of Goonies and like uh you know uh what's the one labyrinth like parents are very much not in the picture it's like the young people's story Mm -hmm. But I do think what is different is that we get some complexity and some knowledge of these parents mm-hmm. and their absence is explained right. through who they are as people, which in some of those other things, it seemed like more of a plot device. Like, right. these kids need their parents gone so that we can have this story. <laughs> Whereas here, it's like, no, this is actually a, a real product of the world in which they live. Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, so we're moving into the characters. Yes. Do you want to assign um, Rue's astrological sign? Yes. Okay, so Rue is, so I've been going back and forth on this. Uh, Rue is an addict and also deeply in love with jewels. And to me, that's very Pisces. (laughs) Pisces as a sign is uh, sort of known for its, uh, difficulty with addiction and substances and also that that sense of falling in love so quickly is also very Piscean and Rue's uh, fixation the um, obsessive compulsion all of those things to me signal somebody who cares a lot and doesn't know what to do with those feelings mm. which to me is very classic Pisces Okay, I accept that. I think that that is an accurate assessment of Rue. Yeah. Excellent. So what I love about Rue is 
uh, just her honesty and her being the center and really seeing her thought process develop, like how the depression impacts her, wanting to be better but not knowing how, and even that language of better, you know, like she doesn't actually want it for herself, but she wants it for her family. Mm. She wants to beat this addiction so that her family doesn't feel bad. Right. Even though she is still very much struggling with all of the thoughts and feelings that are contributing to her depression and OCD mm-hmm. still. Right. Uh, and the drugs are the few, are one of the few times where she doesn't feel that weight. Mm-hmm. And so I think that opens up a lot of questions about what's happening in this moment that young people can have deep depression, OCD. I mean, we're seeing this not just on this show, but we are seeing this in the world, that young people are struggling with more serious mental health concerns at a younger age. And we don't actually have effective solutions for dealing with that. So I'm not surprised that she self-medicates. Right, and what we see is that we don't have very effective solutions, but we have a lot of medication. So earlier on, it's immediately introduced, like this question of like, where did Rue get the drugs? Or like, how did Rue get the drugs? If that was uh, a sort of like, of interest to a viewer, like we, we recognize immediately or we're given information immediately that when she was diagnosed and taken to the hospital for a potential anxiety um, attack, that she was immediately given Valium. And that was her first interaction with um, the substances that she now has an addiction to. So I don't think it's an, it's like this very simple kind of like X happened, so why? But it's actually shown that it's the adult presence or like the presence of the space that she didn't create once again that took her into a space that she now actually doesn't know how to get out of. And that is something that is quite, profound and, and, and something that like uh, did really strike me in a different way that we see that um, her parents wanted her to receive help for something that she was struggling with and uh, we don't know actually if child Rue wanted uh, what kind of specific help she wanted but the answer that the adults had was medication and and then now it's like medication is the answer that she cannot have though like it's the only one that she can see so yeah. I think that also ties back into Rue's narration Mm -hmm. and Rue as the unreliable narrator of the series. Uh, So we are seeing Rue struggling with her own perception of what's happening and also giving some thoughts on what's happening with other people. Mm -hmm. And she has a sense of what's going on with other people. But, uh, again, we can't always trust what it is that she's saying because uh, she's been positioned, even herself, says, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the best at relaying these facts. Mm. And that takes me back to uh, Rue's child self because in the first episode, we see her as a young girl um, dealing with already getting, like, sexually violent texts. You know, we see a scene where she's like maybe 10 or 12 or something and she gets a text that's like, you know, I'm going to rape you, you fat cunt or something like that. So already her 
her gender and her body are being uh, set up for her as belonging to other people yes. and as potentially viol- viable by um, uh, someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we see like how like immediately there's like that scene of the um, they're practicing kind of like I think I'm assuming shooter drills where this is what schools do now like and this also goes back to like the generational divide like how many of us grew up in a generation where our junior highs and high schools practice mass shooter drills um, instead of earthquake drills because I practiced earthquake and fire drills and kind of wanted them because it meant that you could have a moment where you go outside for 10 minutes and hang out with your friends and gossip and chat but I didn't that was uh, like mass school shootings was something that happened I think at the end of my high school and so the kind of procedure that's now been implemented was not my experience but in one of those rather than seeing all of the students kind of in the show scared or rue scared we see like a guy holding up um, I think it's like a video of a girl like giving a blowjob and he's like enacting this kind of like you know he's like what would you say Uh, how would you call it like he's almost like showing this to Rue as like uh, taunting her to to kind of envision her doing this um, which is a very different experience from like (laughs) going outside and having fun in an earthquake drill but I, I do think that like that is what I mean, I think that that, yeah. Yeah, and then Rue talks about that as well. I mean, and one of the other lines that connects to your earlier point about how there is this generational divide, Rue talks about, like, don't shame us for using uh, uh, sexting or for texting uh, dick pics and whatever else, that there is, that this is the currency of now. Yeah. And so, like, these teens are participating in it because that's what they do. Right. So don't shame them for that. However, it does set up a norm, a baseline for young girls in that culture Mm -hmm. to always feel like they are valued because of their sexuality or their potential sexual uh, behavior with men. And relatedly, there is that moment where... Rue is, I mean, it, it's so enmeshed, and she talks actually about Nate when she's introducing him, and yes. she gives just a small thing about how they had gone to a dance, and he had tried to finger her on the dance floor, and it's just, she says it casually, casually <laughs> and in passing, and also saying, I never really had a problem with Nate. Except he did that thing, but I didn't really have a problem with him. Until Jules. Until right. Jules. And so that also, again, sets up this like s- consistent, persistent uh, sexual violence that young girls are experiencing yes. that they just have learned to normalize. Right. And I just want to say like one thing about sexting and nudes um, for those of us who's who are interested in sort of like tracking his historical context perhaps. There's a, an article by Abigail Solomon Godot called The Legs of the Countess where she takes up 
what most people, uh, who most people believe might have been the first um, person to practice self-portraiture, uh, a French countess um, named Countess Castiglione, where she's like an Italian French countess. And in the article, she kind of goes through how we think of something like porn and like nude photographs as like a modern contemporary in invention. But if you go back to daguerreotypes, like there from the beginning, from the onset, there were explicit like we're talking like explicit imagery that you could find hidden underneath like jewelry boxes and inside watches. And so we have to sort of like really ponder about uh, what has technology, what is technology and um, how does it interact with our sexuality? I mean, these are like very serious questions, but also like this isn't a new phenomenon. We just are, we just never actually grappled fully with the question, like, or we never really grappled with the, the, the sort of setting of both like imagery, sexual violence, um, imagery, desire, imagery, and gender. Like they're just kind of pervasive questions that are continuing to this moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that also raises the question of age and children. Yes. And our deep discomfort with children's sexuality. Oh, absolutely. And just this idea that children can't have sex, we don't want them to have sex. But obviously children, as Rue herself is shown, children have these desires and if not desire, a social expectation around how they should behave sexually mm -hmm. that starts very, very young. Very young, yeah. And so in preparing for this podcast or like thinking about this podcast, I like was like trying to think other than narrating for the show, what other information do we receive about Rue? Like, how much psychological exploration of her do we receive? And what do you think? I don't think we get a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't get a lot of what she's thinking. We get voiceover um, narration, but that doesn't really give us insight into her interiority. Right. And some of the things, and we've discussed this as well, some of the things that are most... Uh, poignant to me about Ruth's character are the way that Zendaya is able to communicate so much with just a look, yeah. an expression, a hand, you know, falling back. I mean, right. just the moment when Jules is talking about a moment later in the series mm -hmm. where she makes out with another girl, you can see Rue's heart breaking in her yeah. eyes. And I mean, nothing is said. We don't get an interior monologue about that feeling, but we see it in the tiny little movements that she makes, right. which I think is just, again, speaking to what also makes this show so incredible is the acting yeah. of the young people on it. Yes, and something that I just was so struck by, because I re I tried to rewatch everything so that like everything is fresh on my mind, but we also learn very early on that Rue's sort of understanding of her first experience of kind of being high is when she is taking care of her father who has terminal uh, who has who has a terminal illness cancer uh, and she's taking care of him because like the nurse who is actually supposed to be there to help him is just uninterested and so this labor falls on her or like the family members who are there because the mother her mother has to take an additional shift to actually pay for all of this medical care, which is another layer of like class, I think that I wished was like more explored. But um, 
So like Rue takes uh, one of her father's pills and just takes it and they watch a movie together and then he passes away. Like we learn that he passes away. And then so when we see a few episodes later um, in her interaction, like her and Jules have like a, like a fight, like maybe their first fight, like she's, we see, I think like the first kind of moment of like open vulnerability um, of like intense vulnerability and her sort of words around this is that like she just wants her to be safe and like she just wouldn't know what to do if she lost Jules and so the sense of like loss or the sense of potential loss seems like very strong in Rue and then we don't really see that again so I don't even know if I did justice like in explaining that part but re-watching it I was like this is so serious and there's so much here that this is a concern that Rue has that is not necessarily the first kind of fear for Jules. Like, Jules has other concerns and other fears that I don't know if we fully realize or understand um, within this first season, but this is something that, like, Rue kind of thinks about when she has that encounter um, after the uh, NA meeting um, where her sponsor, her potential sponsor, comes up to her and tells her that, like, what she her overdose will impact how Gia has relationships and how Gia will think of intimacy and trust. Like that seems to be another moment where Rue is just like floored and crushed. And that really connects to perhaps like that scene that she has later with Jules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, to also think of Rue in relationship to Gia, her little sister, the piece that comes after that is Jules actually having to con or Rue actually having to confront how her little sister is perhaps following in her footsteps. So seeing Gia at the party and smoking weed and seeing Gia at the fair also smoking, that being a moment that scares her, but also being a very good protector right. of her sister so that she doesn't get in trouble mm-hmm. because she knows exactly what to do to keep her little sister out of trouble with her mother and not let the mom know that Gia has been smoking. Right. And so it's that weird place of how are you both protecting your little sister and also enabling right her to enter into this place that you know is a dangerous slope to go down right and rue to me also is struggling with which doesn't get addressed is what it means to be black and white in this world mm. so rue's father is white rue's mother is black but that is never broached as an important point in the story Uh, Their parents are just in love, but there's no real discussion of what that means in Rue's life. Mm -hmm. How does that impact her? And there's a moment uh, where Jules and Rue are kind of debating who has it harder. Oh, right. And Jules Jules basically says, like, I've got you. Like, (laughs) I'm a trans girl, um, so that trumps... Right. your addiction and your interracial uh, identity. And I thought that was really interesting because 
we don't actually see the way that race could be taken seriously in Rue's life or in Chia's life as they are moving through a very white SoCal world where they're... um, You know, there are certain expectations and certain thoughts about them because of their race and uh, how that impacts their identity. Yeah, and I think that... We'll get to this later, but I think that this is really magnified for McKay, the character who just continues to remain like a big question mark. Like even even the episode that he had was just kind of not about him. It was about yeah, Cassie. So I mean, I don't I don't know that we have to go in a particular order. Let's talk about McKay. Yeah, let's talk about McKay. Like who is McKay? <laughs> <laughs> like I think maybe this became such an important question for us because wh- so first I have so much to say about Nate. It's ridiculous how much I have to say about Nate. Like, it's like, I really think about Nate. And I'm like, (laughs) wow, I watched eight episodes and I learned so much about Nate. And, And so the fact that I don't have as much to say about the complexity of Rue or the complexity of Jules or or really much at all to say about McKay, I do think that that is part of the sort of like raceless casting or this like raceless landscape or that's not racist right so like Nate the white male character receives like incredible attention and care I think throughout the show and I think McKay episode on I mean everything leading up was around him was lackluster at best but his episode was not about him it was about Cassie and made me understand Cassie better and actually just made me dislike McKay and then I was so annoyed that that happened because I don't dislike anybody in this show. Exactly. So like we don't actually get a sense of what is motivating McKay other than he has a very strict father who wants him to be a football star and it seems very strange that his father would still be very bent on this mission given McKay's own understanding of the statistics and the reality of him right. actually being able to play in the NFL. Right. Uh, and so that is supposed to give us a sense of why McKay does what he does. And it almost seemed like very strangely researched. Like McKay is a caricature of a series of caricatures that we we are supposed to believe that we're receiving interiority into like uh he's a black guy who is in the football team uh, who was like a a great player in high school and joins the football team in college and the people around him want him to go pro and he's hesitating and i think that like the show almost made it seem like this is a caricature in other films and now we're going to receive some information about him but we don't receive any information about him and in fact, like he his sort of like behind the scenes interview was like the the only one too where I also received even less information. And it was so <laughs> yes. confusing. I was like, what is happening? Like what it's like it was almost like he was forcefully not written. Like exactly. he was not written. And I mean this is this is also one of the things that happens in casting like this because he needs to be a black character, but they're also trying to understand him in this right. 
white world. Yes. So one of the things that really, to me, just stood out was his uh, pledging of a white fraternity. Yes. A white fraternity that has the traditions of white fraternities, which include lots of strange sexual... Well, rape. They rape him. Exactly. They rape him, and it's funny. Exactly. And I mean, that is not... uh, which isn't to say that that doesn't happen sure. in black fraternities as well. Oh, I, but I, that's but, not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I didn't know that fraternities, that that was a part of the initiation. But it makes oh, so much yes. sense. So yeah. there's, a, there's another book to mention, which is called Not Gay. And this is a book written by, uh, I'm forgetting her name, but she basically looks at all of the uh, rituals involved in, like, cis, white, male, Mm. straight culture and how not gay it is, but how gay it actually is. totally. So, like, and it isn't gay because there is no love there. There is no, like, but there is a lot of proving that you're not gay by doing, quote-unquote, gay things. So... I mean, like, you know, putting your finger in your friend's ass to prove that you're not gay. You know, and all of this, I think, is what we see happening with McKay. But McKay's response to this, of course, is to then redirect his rage and aggression after being attacked and assaulted by his future brothers to redirect that to Cassie. And Cassie then... His white girlfriend. His white girlfriend, who then we develop some more empathy for at the expense of McKay, Mm -hmm. who has just raped her. Right. I mean, he is the one character who is like... Even in his episode, we don't receive any, like, interiority, like, any internal monologue, any sense that he is not just the character that's kind of floating around um, in space. I think that the gesture of him going through the statistics and then maybe coming to terms that he can't go pro was supposed to be the show's sort of gesture that this is like him being vulnerable with himself and his father, but that didn't, I mean, compared to all of the layers that we, we receive about the other characters, like that didn't seem like very much information uh it just seemed actually like information it didn't seem like affect or it didn't seem like um anything kind of beyond that and then his interactions with his girlfriend cassie i mean he just mostly seems like um like an asshole like there's there's really like not much else to say about their dynamic and I, i don't mean like asshole in like a like a ethical kind of sense like they're young, everyone's sort of, like, doing their thing. But, mm-hmm. it's, you know, like, no one seems to be a good boyfriend, actually. Yeah. But that's the one th- consistency in the <laughs> show. There are no good boyfriends. But uh, he's just, like, he he thinks he loves her. This comes up. Um, but he, like, he actually, it's very clear he doesn't understand that Cassie is struggling with developing her own kind of sense of, um, herself, her interiority, that she's sensitive. Like, he doesn't seem to really understand that about her. He's just like... Or in, care. Or care. He's just really attracted to her. And this is, like, like the first time he, like, has really loved somebody. And 
like, okay. Like, that's not nothing, but, like, that's really not how any of the other characters' episodes went. Yes. And maybe that's something to point out as well, that there is something here that is accurate in terms of making these women one-dimensional to the male characters. Sure, yeah. But I don't think that that was intentional on the part (laughs) of the writers. So there's, again, there is something that is reflected in life in that women or these women characters are doing a lot of interior work and are the real literal heart of the show and these boys seem oblivious. But it does not set up a real critique within the framework of the show to critique their uh, doing that extra emotional labor. Right. And also that they, again, become vehicles for the boys' self-discovery or for furthering the narrative. Yeah. So Jules is, you know, a vehicle for Nate. Maddie is a vehicle for Nate. Yes. To get us to a more empathetic understanding of who they are. Yes. And I think maybe the the main difference between the the ways in which Maddie and Jules interact with Nate versus Cassie's interaction with McKay going back to race is that like I think that Nate does somewhat acknowledge like Maddie's power or um, his sort of discomfort like like in, their, in his world, they are kind of characters that possess some kind of something, something like a little bit unknown. But in McKay, it's almost like that doesn't, like, Cass, like Cassie's a, she's flat. Like, she's, like, flat, and that is part of the struggle. But then he is, like, the one black, like, black male character where he receives an entire episode. And all we get is that, like, his sort of interactions with her are actually so profoundly sad on some level Absolutely. that we feel so we feel for her we feel for yeah. the girlfriend and like you know makes me want to say like what the fuck is that you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, uh. and even the way that we get set up with McKay and Cassie it's that Nate is so insistent that Cassie is a slut a slut and he goes on and on and pulls it up and really wants McKay to understand Cassie in this way. Yeah. Which McKay does resist a little bit, but not when they have sex for the first time. Yes. Because he embodies all of these things that he's seen in porn and does that to Cassie. And Cassie's like, wait. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the few times that we see Cassie push back. Yes. But then Cassie comes back around and is like, this isn't okay because you didn't ask me. Right, But right. if you had asked me, right. I might feel differently. You asked me if it's okay to strangle me so that I can't breathe <laughs> um, the first time we have sex. Like, then maybe, <laughs> so maybe the second time. <laughs> um, because she says that to immediately make him feel okay. Yes. Right? She says that on behalf of his feelings, right? Like, she says no, but then she immediately... Uh, performs this labor of making sure his ego is intact, that he doesn't feel criticized, that he doesn't feel like anything is wrong and that they can continue. Um, And then she'll just process those feelings later. And so this brings me to my assessment of Cassie as a Libra. (laughs) I think Cassie embodies that Libra sensibility, which is like, 
in love with love, willing to do whatever for the boyfriend to make it work, and not really acknowledge what she really feels. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of the backstory we get on Cassie is Cassie's in love with every boy she's ever dated. Yeah. And so Cassie then becomes somebody who gets wrapped up in the person that they're with and loses herself in the process, right. which is a very Libra thing to do. Ooh. Oh, so do do you have an assessment of McKay's sign? Yes. So I would read McKay as a Taurus. Okay. So I see McKay as somebody who is very much invested in the material world. He's trying to make things work. He also likes things that are pretty, which is very Torian. Mm. Like, he likes Cassie because she's pretty. Right. And he likes what it means for him to be seen with her. Yeah. And he's pretty traditional. Like, he wants to get the material things that he wants out of life. He's not interested in sort of these big picture questions. Right. The little bit that we get of him gives me a Taurus. Yeah. And so this goes to say that I want more from I want more <laughs> from McKay. Like I want more and I and the caricature stand in is not it's just it's perhaps like the biggest limitation of the show that that there are black characters and particularly for McKay's instance that it just kind of like I don't know I don't it just kind of it doesn't even like fumble it just sort of like collapses into itself absolutely at the end of the season I don't even know if he appeared in the last episode and then I didn't even think about him at all in the yeah. it wasn't like oh what's happening with McKay it was just like oh, he's oh not no there. like the season is over and then it was like oh my god this is like actually what almost always happens with black characters like be it if they're not being killed off it's like he was like emotionally kind of killed off like effectively erased from the plot line the narrative it's really even unclear to me other than for the development of Cassie Absolutely. Why he exists, which is, like, kind of nuts, right? It is, like, absolutely. Like, when can you actually say that about a male character? But, like, yes, she does serve as a vehicle to kind of um, talk about perhaps his sense of the material world, but that affectively we're so stuck in this moment where Cassie's going through her abortion, right? And he's not there. Yeah. He's not, he doesn't even, like, we don't even, we don't see a text message. We don't no. see a serious conversation. Nothing. Like, like, she tells him she's pregnant and he's just, like, stressed out about his career, which I thought he had already made peace with that it doesn't <laughs> exist. So he doesn't even fantasize with her for, like, a second. Exactly. Performs none of the emotional labor that she constantly performs for him. Exactly. Um, and then, like, is MIA. And his, her mother and her sister are the ones right. who are there for her. Her mother, who is very consistently drunk. Yes. And kind of inappropriate throughout the entire season. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it is okay with them spending long weekends together and this isn't me being like critical of her parenting style it just seems like she's just like actually the one MIA for real (laughs) character like she's not even willing to be like this is the curfew she's just like have a good weekend but no funny stuff and then her daughter is pregnant and she's she's there she's there for every second of it and then McKay is like I was like, wait, like, who did Cassie get pregnant by? Like, exactly. I forgot that he existed. I just was so wrapped up in her, uh, her kind of moment. Yeah. Absolutely. I got, like, kind of heated thinking about that. (laughs) 
was like, yeah, like he just like doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't text, he doesn't do anything. Like no. that, that she tells him, are they broken up then? Or like he's just gone? <laughs> I mean, I think so. But that I think raises another question, which is thinking about McKay in contrast to Nate. And so how <clears throat> Nate gets figured. So oh, yeah. I definitely see Nate as a Capricorn. Okay, let's go to Nate because there's so much to say. And then go to, you know, like Jules the love of my life, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I think it, when I think of Nate, I think Nate is a Capricorn because Nate is a striver, is all about tradition and trying to make uh, his world what he wants it to be. He's very invested in appearance and very invested in doing what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking. He's always, you know, a couple of steps ahead and trying to prove something to his father. Right. And so to me, that's a very Capricorn orientation to the yeah. world. Like, I've got to figure it out and I'm the best and that uh, certainty that he has right. is very Capricorn. And the thing, so like if we're putting Nate and McKay in contrast, so McKay likes Cassie because she's pretty, but it's like abstractly pretty, like pretty where, pretty how, like who is she that she's pretty, like what what features, like does she have longer eyelashes or like what did you like about her? We actually don't receive any specifics. I mean, I think that's where race comes in yes, again. Yes. Like, her whiteness is enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> she has, she's like, everyone else thinks she's pretty, and she's pretty. And the description of Nate's sort of specificity for what he finds attractive is so intense, you know? So, like, Rue gives us this sort of, like, overview that Nate doesn't like, um, he doesn't like, what is he like sneakers? But he likes like ballet flats and he like really likes pedicures. And, you know, he likes like girls that are so thin that you can see the thigh gap and like hair, like body hair really bothers him. Um, and when they shot, when they like zoomed in on like the arm hair, it took a second for me because it's like, I had to think about how like I almost never notice. Mm-hmm particularly arm hair I, I mean there are things I notice about people and notice overall but that it is a it, it was quite telling that like it got this specific because what it was doing is it was pointing a portrait of like peak femininity exactly. like Nate loves um, peak femininity and and wants peak femininity and um, a kind of like grooming like yes. a feminine grooming yes. that's almost like naturalized like so like Maddie it's she doesn't even have to groom anymore she was just like born hairless like the girl <laughs> that like you know like she's just like she doesn't even know like exactly and I think that, that was what it was wanting to do is that Maddie doesn't know that like her his pull towards her wasn't that like She's gorgeous, right, and hot, because um, Cassie's hot, right? right. But like Maddie was like born hairless, and like this was actually really important to him. Absolutely, that it, that this like young girl would perhaps not even need to groom, like exactly. not need to keep up appearances, but she was just like born this feminine, and exactly. this is like incredibly important to him. And that level of specificity actually gives us a lot to think about. Yes, and that actually might even take us to Virgo instead of <laughs> Capricorn. <laughs> because I think that that level of perfection, yeah. both in her and in 
the way he understands himself. Yeah. The way that he wants to be perfect and yes. his own desire to uh, win on the football field. Yes. All of that is a level of perfection yeah. that I think might even rise above Capricorn to Virgo. I, I would agree. I mean, and so should we say a little bit about the backstory that Nate receives? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so we receive Nate's episode. So each character sort of has like an episode. I think that that's how you could think about the structure of the show, though in each episode... Uh, you can still receive like the plot, what's happening in the plot with other characters. So Nate receives episode two. So immediately we learn about him and then we just continue to learn about him until the end of the season. But we learn that he very early on discovered his father's porn collection. And by porn collection, it's that his fa- it's his father recording videos of himself having sex with other boys or other trans people perhaps it's it's not very like clear but it's also like very clear to Nate and Nate's father because it's color coordinated it's organized so Nate discovers this collection and just watches it and continues to watch it which is something else we could talk about right because if you discover this, like, who is the character who continues to watch this? Exactly. And I could, and so, like, part of I think that the what the show was grappling with is that Nate is learning about sexuality through the ways in which his father has perhaps suppressed his sexuality, but also been um, so persistent in a certain kind of sexuality, right? Yes. So it's both repressed and like aggressive and persistent simultaneously and then this shows up perhaps in the ways in which Nate really craves to be the Disney prince of his like of of the of the femme's dream right so like he wants to like protect Maddie and protect her from harm and he fantasizes about protecting her from harm which I think that that is, like, a book that someone could write, (laughs) right? Like, that, like, so much of the sort of sentimental romanticizations that we have of these stories that are supposed to be, like, girly stories are actually perhaps more about the affect of, uh, of a culture that has curated a certain kind of femininity that needs to be protected and how good it makes some men feel to be, like, the protector. And so Maddie, this hyper femme, hairless character mm-hmm. who remains a character in many ways um, in his inter- in- interaction becomes like the safe space where he could explore these like protector fantasies um, and then we learn that he uh, basically concocts this incredibly elaborate plan to trick Jules into sending him nudes or like semi-nudes um, and then he uses this against her to uh, get himself out of trouble. Um, and get his father out of trouble. And get his father out of trouble. So he learns, because perhaps he actually knows so much about his father's sexual activity, sexuality, so forth, he somehow learns, and we never understand how he actually learns this. Like, I didn't think that, like, what Jules... Oh, Jules and Nate's father um, hook up. I, I don't know what to call it. Hookup is a weird... I, what what would you call that? I mean, I think that was rape. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one of the things that this show 
puts forth, which I think is helpful in that all of these things exist in this gray area, which I think is important to show that this is how this happened. But the fact that the young people then take it on as if it's nothing mm. and so don't actually deal with it as a traumatic event, yeah. uh, I think is something that still needs to be unpacked. Right. I mean, this is, again, where the mirror doesn't go far enough, right? right? So if you're showing us this is how the world is, that's true. But we also want to get to a point where we understand why it is mm. that girls in this particular show are repeatedly made to feel like they are responsible yes, or that they have to deal with whatever has happened to them, that men have done to them, that boys have done to them, uh, and not th think of that as a traumatic experience. Or an act of violence. Exactly. So yes, so this, this, this assault interaction very quick happens between Jules and Nate's father. Uh, Jules is 16, so she's underage, and Nate somehow figures this out, and then like baits jewels into this very like complicated catfishing. Uh, catfishing to where he actually sends her you know nudes in order to to get what uh, hers and then he then creates a schema where she feels like um, if they were to be released um, she would be registered as a sex offender and I think that like he is perhaps playing off of the fact that as a trans girl, like that, her like his word against her would absolutely um, be believed by the police. So I think that like that is how I understood like the subtext of it. Like, who is going to punish him versus who will punish her is a very different phenomenon. But this is all to say that like the mirror that Ra Nate receives is so profound. Like, you you really get to watch. Uh, like almost all of the sort of aspects of how he begins to associate violence with sex, violence and domination. Like he chokes his girlfriend, leaves bruises on her neck and continues to believe that he loves her. And we, I almost feel like that is also then like normalized in this like very strange way that like, of course, like the extension of his love would be violence. and. And the c continual reappearance of his father, I think, helps us understand this, right? I don't know if it forgives him, but I think it humanizes and, um, and kind of lays out a space where his transphobia and his homophobia, I mean, potentially, um, is almost explained. And, and and his the violence towards the women in his life is almost explained. And I think that that's actually very dangerous. Um, I agree. And I think this also goes to a point that you made also as we were preparing for this, which was Nate could probably take his father. Yes. And that, like, it head-to-head -head, when there's a moment where they're standing right in front of each other, it's very clear to me that Nate could physically overpower his father yeah. but the emotional weight of that relationship is the thing that keeps him from being able yes. to fight back against his father and why do I know that why do I, <laughs> why do 
I know, why has the show done such a good job that I can understand that even though he could very rightly physically take his father, the emotional pain of his life and relationship with his father is not enough for him to overcome that. Right. Where we don't have that same sort of knowledge about any... Any of the characters. Any of the other characters. Like, I think that we almost understand, both because of ep- the episode that Nate received and then also every other episode <laughs> is basically about Nate, and then, like, what he says sort of at the end of episode two where, like, there's, like, a talk back with the actor who sort of calls Maddie, like, his safe space, and with, when the safe space is gone, right, because she... Um, as an act of revenge, has sex with another guy in a pool. And so, like, this sort of illusion that he's built that she's this pure girl who needs his, his protection. When this is gone, he, his, his violence accelerates. And so then I, I really wondered about this because I was like, okay, so this is a way to understand someone's violent impulses, which affects every single character in the show. Like, it, it affects... The drug dealer. It affects Maddie. It affects Jules. It affects Rue because it affects Jules. It affects like it affects McKay because of the way that he speaks about women. It affects every single person in the in the show. But what I want to know is like I want to know about the development of Jules and why does Jules feel like in her interactions with Nate, even before she knew it was it was Nate, why did she always believe that all the risk is always hers? right mm-hmm. like like i i actually really don't know and i want to know right so if, um we just back up and say like there was this moment where like the the fight that rue and jules got into was that jules not knowing that she was being catfished by nate um wanted to meet up with this guy that she's just been texting with and had has fallen in love with and uh, this guy is like a jock like in the story it's basically Nate but like at another school at another school right like a jock who's (laughs) who comes from a conservative family and is very hot and like is not sure that he's out yet right but like loves Jules too and loves Jules even though like like wants to meet up with her and Rue immediately says like why can't you just meet him in a public space and um Jules immediately defends uh, the, the 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 situation and says like this is a very different situation from what you would experience in your life versus what I would experience, and it isn't that I don't un- I mean so like and 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 protects his rationale for why his identity would need to be protected at the risk of her safety right so like that's what the fight becomes about that like Rue is concerned for her physical safety and safety overall and that Jules sort of accepts that the risk will fall on her and her body and I thought a lot about that because I was like how did you how did you decide or why do you believe that in situations of romance or love or intimacy that the risk is yours and how did versus like I understand why Nate um, believes that like violence and sexuality are intertwined, which I think is kind of a dangerous thing to just pause it out there without kind of further tackling all of the ways in which the other characters are then underdeveloped compared to how well developed that thesis is. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, again, what is surprising and not surprising is 
even in a show with Rue as the central protagonist, Nate still sucks all the air out of the room. <sighs> Which is not to say that uh, Zendaya is not an amazing actress because she is killing this role. Yeah. Like, she's incredible. But there is a way that the gravity of the show still tends to shift to Nate because of exactly what you've explained. All of the different ways that his life impacts the other characters and ends up really determining some of the things that happen to everyone else. He's a tornado of violence. He is. He's a total tornado of violence and of empathy. Like, I think that there's so much empathy and care directed towards him. It's like... By multiple characters. Multiple characters. Like, Jules uh, just immediately being like, no, it must be so hard for a jock to... Uh, grapple with his sexuality as she's being catfished. And and I'm not saying this because I think Jules is being naive. I think it's like actually genuine. I think mm-hmm. she actually feels like, well, there should be less risk for him because he's already sort of perhaps like grappling with the risk of like this information being, uh, you know, c- coming out. And Absolutely. so we should protect his identity. And then Maddie his girlfriend being like, well, if he is exploring his sexuality, I want to be supportive of that. Uh-huh. You know, like, and like not being and I think that there, the Maddie is a very strange character. I love her character, but she's a very strange character in that, like, it's very clear that she doesn't really take anything that seriously or mm-hmm. she's, like, willing to do things on impulse. And this seems to be the one thing she kind of circles back to very consistently, that, like, if she were to love a man who is not the same man that she fell in love with um, at the beginning, um, that only loves her, but also mm-hmm. desires not just other women, but other men, that she would actually be there. Like, she Mm -hmm. wouldn't just be like, oh, my God, and, like, leave and have this kind of, like, homophobic reaction to it that she is, she's, like, thinking about it in more complicated ways and and really caring about his interiority once again and, like, the process of, like, you know, sexuality and and how difficult it could be. while watching porn and like making sure he would be like happy like in their interactions right so like everybody everyone is either thinking about him or fundamentally impacted by his behavior yeah and I think that's a great segue into talking more about Maddie yes (laughs) and trying to understand who she is as a character because on the one hand I see Maddie as very much a Scorpio Mm. so like this deep love for Nate that she can't explain, but also intense jealousy and vindictiveness. And always having a plan. Like, Maddie is smart, and she's thinking, you know, six and seven steps ahead. So so she really has a handle on things, but this is also where perhaps some of my uh, sign and chart reading breaks down, because they're not consistent with their portrayal of Maddie as the bad bitch that she is. Right. Like, I think that one of the first things that we spoke about is how, like, okay, so Maddie is willing to, um, she's, like, the only character that's openly defined of authority very consistently. I think you can see that, like, Nate is not actually openly defiant of authority. His father in particular, um, Rue fights with her mom, but at the end of the day, she's not, like, disrespecting her mom. Neither is Jules. No one is, actually. Like, Mm -hmm. if the parents are absent, they're absent. But Maddie 
talks back to her mom. Um, she's critical of her parents. Uh, she, at the carnival, she knocks over her boyfriend's mother's chili in front of everybody. She is, like, not just a bad bitch. She, she's just, like, a fantasy bitch, <laughs> <maybe>. Like, <laughs> as in, like, it's so refreshing that, like, she's not, you know, like, because I was thinking, like, I think that especially when you're a teen, you definitely want the person you like's parents to like you because you're just kind of a little bit afraid that if they start seeing you as a bad influence, what if you can't hang out with them? She doesn't seem to have any of those concerns. None. No concerns. Complete defiance of authority. So what does it mean that she cannot think of one lie to tell the principal, the police, any of the parents about the bruises on her neck? Like... This is something that, like, kept me up at night because I was like, is it because this is a plot device to move the violence forward, the violence of Nate and, like, the impact of, like, the situation or that, like, she this is a moment where the violence in her life is actually so strong. And this is her way of perhaps um wanting to address the issues by allowing people essentially to believe the truth by not offering a lie. And I think that that is very generous. (laughs) And I don't think that the writing supports that. (laughs) Right, because I was like, we literally just saw her knock over a bowl of chili. We did. We see her roll her eyes. We see her talk back in ways that I just think is so refreshing. Like, so refreshing. She's such a refreshing character. So then she starts crying in front of the police. She can't, like, tell one lie. I mean, she can't... At that moment, she can't just say, like... Um, she can't give someone else's name, like, because they eventually do anyway. Exactly. So, but she couldn't think of that that on her own. It just made me think, like, what is... Why is there so much to this character? And then there's, like, this inconsistency that almost only appears because of Nate. Yes. The existence of Nate's exploration. See? And then we come back to Nate. We come back to Nate. I know. All well, roads. All roads lead back. Well, I mean, and that, to, to bring up the other significant other in Nate's life, Jules. Jules. Jules is, I think, a fascinating character who I have even less astrological insight into. I think mm. Jules is an air sign, and I think... Perhaps Jules is a Aquarius or Gemini, and I think that only because she is smart. She doesn't seem to be phased too much by all of the other things that are happening around her. She doesn't have like the deep uh, empathy that Zendaya's character has, that Rue has. She is not... Um, generally impulsive, although that gets questioned in the final episode. Right, right. So I think this is where, you know, things start to break down also, is why is Jules so interested in leaving, given her supportedly supportive father. Yes. And also a friend who's really trying to work through some shit. Right. And that level of selfishness, I have to say, it does seem a little air sign to me. If I want to talk about Jules, but the last thing I want to say about Maddie uh, is that the episode on Maddie sort of explaining that she just decided she didn't 
want to do anything or she doesn't want to do anything. Okay. Just seems like such a missed opportunity and gave me insight into perhaps like like what what the writers per like wasn't what the writers can't see actually about the characters that I think even the viewers can see because it's very clear that Maddie wants power yes. and she wants control and that's not nothing that's very much something absolutely does she know exactly what she wants to do as a career does she even want a career I don't know that's like an open-ended question but she wants power yes she wants to be in control and um, she will actually surprise people in her endeavor to have both yes and but she doesn't surprise herself because she's very consistent in that she wants those two things and I think that like once again, race is something that we don't really see being developed and class too. She seems to be the one openly sort of like not of the same class characters. Like that's immediately posited that her right. mother is the person who gives other women pedicures. Right. And Nate's father is clearly very wealthy. He's a developer. He's the richest guy in town. So Maddie is dating the son of the richest family and that doesn't mean nothing that means something and I think that like like the fact that like that and then like the racial dynamics are just kind of like shuffled and visualized but never um, articulated articulated or or pushed really that like her sort of scene that um you know she's like not really that interested in uh like porn to get off but she thinks that you can learn a lot of things and that like if you make a man feel powerful and confident you can get them to do things for you like buy you exactly the coat that you wanted from that movie because that's what Nate then shows up with and in some very strange way Nate's interactions with Maddie seem very uh, formal and traditional in that like he shows up with presents he shows up with flowers he like picks her up drops her off it's a very like strange like 50s dynamic yeah even though like there's all this other stuff folded into it absolutely but there is it's it's almost like he too understands the script that he too must show up with gifts and and she understands that and i think that like that is something that actually works for the both of them and that um has a lot to do with class like i uh i, I think that like one thing that like kind of early feminist writing did grapple with it's things like, you know, women groom for class aspirations. Like, grooming is about class aspirations so much of the time. Um, and I think you can see that in their in their interactions. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that also makes me think about Maddie's understanding or what she knows. So we get a... We see that Maddie has seen one of these videos that... Uh, Nate's father has made. Yes. But we are not given the suggestion that it was Jules on the video. Yes. In that she interacts with Jules at the at prom and does not uh, behave any differently towards her. Mm-hmm. And so that I also want to interrogate in terms of how are the relationships between the young women uh, being kind of portrayed on the show so we have uh cassie cat maddie rue jules lexi cassie's sister all interacting together at different points but 
Uh, I'm curious. I I didn't try, but I'm like, does their dialogue always pass the Bechtel test? You know, because I when I think about it, there's a lot of talk about Nate and Maddie, and that that's kind of the role that a lot of them are playing. Similarly with Cassie, there is this moment where she wants to talk about what's happened with McKay, but she decides not to bring them all in on that. So the boys are in the background, but they're very much there. And so what are the kinds of relationships and friendships that are being developed with the exception of the potential queer love affair between Jules and Roe? Yeah, and I will say that I think that this is an it was another sort of telling um, it was it was another sort of telling aspect of Maddie's character that watching the video, whatever that is, whatever like shocking content that is, that like a Nate has this video. So what does that mean that Nate has this video, right? Like the layers of it are just like incredibly complicated. That Maddie, her first impulse isn't to freak out. It's like not to show her emotions, which maybe goes back to like your reading of her as a Scorpio she takes information and she figures out what she's going to do with it Absolutely. because what what she is after is very different I think than what the other characters are often after and I do think that that has a lot to do with um, perhaps the character that's being developed which is like she's not like Rue is like genuinely and sincerely in love with Jules and Jules is processing her feelings in a very different way and Nate is perhaps like the character whose feelings really like out of control that that he wants to control and that's part of the process of the show and Maddie seems to have a very different relationship to her feelings she doesn't watch it and freak out like right and that's why I think that like the inconsistency of like her just sort of like bizarre inability um, inability to like to take care of herself or her like inability to stand up or like inability to kind of manipulate the situation when it comes to like the police and the principal was very strange like especially the principal like it was like you are you you have very consistently been the person who's like manipulating the situation Mm -hmm. people are not manipulating you um so yes yeah yes but we can return to Jules yeah who like I think it's really interesting. So, like, the last episode for me was so fascinating because I couldn't, I didn't even really know what to do with her almost, like, indifference to Rue's anxiety. I couldn't figure out if, like, this was just a part of the character she's supposed to play. That, like, she seemed to have so much empathy for Nate's father, right? So, like, when Nate's father goes up to her, she's like, I would never tell anyone about us. Like, I have no intention of ruining your life. Like... She seems to have thought about it, and she actually is, she gets annoyed when Rubric is up, like, maybe you should get some money out of this, and she seems to sort of not um, even consider any of this when Nate threatens her, that actually, maybe she has a little bit more power in this situation than Nate believes, or Nate is making it seem like. Absolutely. And... And, and But then, like, when Rue is sort of, like, clearly having some kind of, like, anxiety, something around this, that Jules doesn't even go to reassure her, doesn't ask her about this at all. She's just, like, insistent. Yes. And then leaves, which, like, I don't... I was like, did you want to leave? Like, for the eight episodes, like, I had no idea you wanted and to leave. leave. Exactly. It definitely came out of nowhere. And when we're thinking about it, like, 
that was the most impulsive thing I saw in the series. Yes. Because even Maddie's decisions to have sex in the pool, it seemed very calculated. Oh, and not yeah. A, and not an act of impulse in the way that Jules is like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. go. Yeah. That's a great idea. But it's not something that she thought of. Yeah. And it's not something that she had thought of longer than the moment in time span that they had. And even Rue's own hesitation, talking about what kind of medication she needs, uh, what's going to happen to her, Jules is like, we'll figure it out. But that's also a, a leap of faith that you're asking for Rue to take, given that you've just told her that you're also in love with somebody else. You were just in the bathroom talking to the other girl that you made out with just a few days before that kind of broke Rue's heart. So, I mean, I think Jules' uh, lack of concern for Rue's feelings seems very, I don't know, not consistent with who she's been to Rue previously. But it does seem to me to further my thought that she is an air sign, <laughs> a Gemini, or an Aquarius. Um, so two things, like you're totally right because Maddie's quote unquote decision to have sex in the pool, that then was also like this this sort of like looming thing that explains Nate's violence, but then also like all these other like ways in which he gets out of the situation that he then is in. Uh, it it's calculated in that like her persona to everyone else is that she is the baddest bitch in the room and don't fuck with her and like don't press her because um you don't know what she's gonna do next right like i do think that like that the ambiance of that is very clear and she's very good at maintaining it like so then like any decision she makes can't be read as an accident it like she is in control of that decision and you should not push her on that versus jules has basically only made very careful decisions right she seems to actually be quite self-aware that it isn't her interactions with these men um sexually sexually that she is interested in like the lead-up to it which is i think that something that i wanted to actually know more about like is it because her interaction with nate's father just seemed to have so little romance it did and and that's one of the things we see so she, we see her texting, talking to Dominant Daddy, and then, you know, his profile says something like twinks and femboys. So it's, like, very clear yeah. who he's interested in and why he's interested in them. Yeah. It's not about romance or anything leading up to anything. And that that all occurred in a very short window. Yeah. Because she was invited to McKay's party but then decided to meet up with him that same night. So the idea of the romance and the thing leading up to it was very, very small. Right. We didn't get to see a lot of that, as opposed to with Nate as Shy Guy, we see a lot of that buildup and the day-to-day that makes her invested in him that we just don't see otherwise and i think maybe that that is perhaps what she's talking about it's like the sort of lead up to the desire be it a short interaction or an extended interaction where like it's like um 
her feeling desire or the other person feeling desire and then so the the actual act is less important though sometimes it's necessary perhaps to complete that cycle right but then it's not continued which then also goes back to like my question of like who taught her who taught you to accept all the risk and to even go to the end if like it's really the interaction of desire that you're interested in like what what is that about like i'm really interested in that and then the other thing that i was going to say is that um she seems so self-aware and also her understanding of like the leveling up like when she's talking to this girl that she's also in love with other than with rue that like femininity for her is about like like conquering it or capturing it and then like doing something else with it right but like it isn't about being inside of it which is like really amazing and exciting and wonderful that she's like talking about it in these terms so then when she's sort of like haphazardly like you said this thing one hour ago that we're gonna run away together let's go i'm just like what where'd that come from exactly every decision in your life seems so it seems like you're one of the only characters that knows why you're making those decisions like why you made the decision to hook you know hook up or meet this guy in this room or um like or like what your thoughts are about feminine it's she seems to be the only person who's interested in interrogating her own thoughts and desires yes. but like that la- the the last 30 minutes of episode 8 were so scary and frustrating because um she seemed utterly uninterested and it was def- it was impacting rue this character she said she loves right and so you're just watching this person hurt this other person yes and i guess to be fair to the show these are teenagers sure so teenagers can go off script i yeah. think that's also part of yeah. being a teenager yeah. but in going off script there doesn't seem to be um an account for the impact when these teenagers in all other realms seem to be very clear about the repercussions of their actions. Yes, yes. So, like, there's the level, and I mean, even Rue as an addict, like, being very clear about what she has to do to fool her mom, making sure that the urine is warm, all of the things that she does yeah. to kind of manipulate and manage that situation. And then all of this logic and foresight falls out uh, in different places for the characters at other points. Uh, I want us to think about, like, is there room in this show to imagine women in a different way? Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that the one character that we haven't talked about yet is Kat. And Kat is perhaps the only woman female character who isn't embroiled in Nate's web of, you know... (laughs) Destruction? Destruction. (laughs) And that uh, Kat has this potential in that she really just wants to have sex so that she's not a virgin anymore, but also plays into all of these stereotypical insecurities about being fat and how she is then maneuvering in this world of boys. Mm. And that was one of the things that I was frustrated with about her character. Because I liked that she, you know, just wanted to have sex, get it over with. But her insecurities then become 
the fuel for an eper, even deeper attachment to this dominatrix persona. So she thinks that the guy that she likes is talking to a skinny blonde girl. And so her retaliation is to go sleep with some popular boy from who was popular like many years ago. Right. Who's a now out, essentially. Is that what we call people like that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> who's now a carny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's her decision. Right, right. That so it, it ultimately sort of revealed that she's actually fundamentally insecure. Yes. And like not just insecure, she's like sad about it. That like this is just like her coping mechanism, which then like is just a shitty way to actually think about her sexuality, right? That like that it turns out the conversation that the boy that she likes is having is like scheduling that like is about like his sister sister's scheduling. So it has like absolutely like it's not even like a little bit tinged with flirtation. It's just like a you know, something to do with scheduling and my sibling, goodbye. She takes this sort of, she just, like, takes, like, the the image of his body next to this skinny woman's body, and that's it. That's all she needs to be triggered. And then, so, like, it, that was very disappointing because it collapsed in some ways all of the development that her character... It's so true. ...had gone through that we sort of witnessed her as sort of, like, someone who's exploring her sexuality. So then it's like, is she not exploring her sexuality? Is she just, like... Reacting. Sh- yes, yes. Reacting and, like, still ashamed of her body and, like, not feeling good about herself because I don't want to think that way about Cat. Cat's like... Once again, like you said, the only character who's not, like, embroiled in Nate's, like, web of destruction. Like, in fact, like, that's, like, the one fight she has with Maddie. That, like, she's just uninterested in this abusive relationship she has with Matt, you know, that Maddie and Nate have. And she's doing her own thing on Tumblr or whatever. Yes. Um, And so then to see that scene at the carnival and then her sort of process it as like her arc is that then she decides she just likes this boy and she's just gonna have this kind of like normal high school relationship and it was kind of like oh okay right I did want you to get with him but I also so then are you exactly (laughs) like what happens then to your amazing like rising star online um I mean both in terms of her dominatrix cam work but also in terms of her writing mm-hmm. in the fan fiction realm right like all of that just gets erased yeah. because some guy that you like likes you back and you can be boyfriend and girlfriend with this person like that's it's silly it's silly okay I was like, <laughs> is, it, is this what a teenager really wants nowadays or is it just silly um or is it just like a, a kind of collapsed um a, a, a co- collapsing of her character and a missed opportunity to sort of pu- take it further and push it further because it's so great that she's writing like gay fan fiction exactly right? like I, wa- I was like ooh tell us more yes like, which is a whole <laughs> genre of yeah. like girls writing gay fan fiction like yeah. it's a whole world and it did make me uncomfortable that she was cam girling with like old men yeah. But at the same time, like, it seemed like these were her sessions where she was actually talking about her sexuality. Like, her being like, this is what I learned today. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
kind of interacting in in a space where like she's no longer just afraid of men uh-huh. or just afraid of what they're going to whisper and just afraid of what she they're going to say that she it's a different orientation Absolutely. like she has a different orientation to this gender and just to her own body um and like the fact that the guy that she likes the first thing he's gonna do in their like bathroom scene is like go down on her so i felt like I thought it was like a really great opening into their relationship. Absolutely. Because it definitely flips the expectation that she's the one who's got to do the work. Yeah. Which we've seen with all of the other women in their interactions with men. Like they are definitely supposed to support the man's pleasure, the boy's pleasure, and not their own. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, but okay, the backstory on her weight gain. What do you think about this? Because I was like, really? She went on vacation and drank 72 pina coladas and then gained 20 pounds. Like, <laughs> that's, how, and then, like, could never figure out how to take it off. Like, I didn't really know what to do with that information, actually. Like, no, the backstory didn't make sense. And it, <laughs> it was really unhelpful, actually. That's what I meant. Like, it's it unhelpful. Was, it's unhelpful. And even the narrative of the other boy. Who Daniel? Who was like her best friend and her boyfriend? Her boyfriend, like, and then all of a sudden now he's not interested. Like, I I do understand that there's a lot of pressure on children around weight, etc. But what was the reason that they were together? Like, the reason that they were together was not her weight. Like, they had something that was working for them. Yeah. Prior to that, so. I guess my um, frustration, too, with her backstory is that it doesn't really give us enough to, to tell a story that is, this is why she has the life that she has. Yes, because the current cat is the one who is on a grapefruit diet, which I guess means you just eat grapefruit. I think so. Um, and... Like, the boy that she likes is actually, like, the first person, it seems like, who's like, hey, do you need something else to eat? And yeah. And she's like, no, like, go away. Yeah. Like, let me do this thing. And so then when she decides that, like, whatever, I'm not going to, like, be constrained by the social construct of, like, this ideal body that I have to be, I think that, that that's really important. But then it made the whole backstory even weirder and less helpful because I don't know I was like why why it's so specific like that she gained weight on vacation in eight days and 20 pounds and I was like that's such a that's such a specific detail about her <laughs> like she receives like bizarrely specific details that then are not explored right yes. like like I don't think any of the other characters receive very like no. very much specificity. no it's true like you know she writes like fan fiction that like gay fan fiction that stars Harry Styles. It's like, true. How much? Like no one else receives that kind of specificity. It's true. You know, it isn't that she gained weight because she loved all kinds of food and mm-hmm. like whatever. Like all the other things that we could actually say. That I don't even really know if that's the way we should talk about it. To exactly. be honest with you, but it's so specific. It's like she enjoyed virgin pina coladas. 
husband and was like, do they really have that many calories? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this information? Like, what what goes in a, like, a virgin that, like, is it's this detrimental to, like, this young girl's health? Like, what are you saying that, like, I mean, I, I wasn't really sure then what to do with this information. Exactly. It felt really actually unhelpful to understanding bodies. Absolutely. And health and change, right? Like, that, like... I don't, I don't really know if it's that she, quote-unquote, did this to herself right. by, like, discovering one thing that and that she liked too much. And this is interesting as well, given your earlier point about the parents, because I think that her parents are completely dropped out. Yeah. And so I'm not sure. It's also unclear where she is supposed to be in terms of the race spectrum on this show. Her last name is... Hernandez, I think. Yes. Yeah. And so, but we don't actually deal, again, with how race might be a factor mm. in terms of how she's understanding herself or even understanding her body. And that, uh, again, seems like a missed opportunity mm-hmm. to give us some details that would actually be useful <laughs> for Instead understanding. Of not useful details <laughs> exactly. that, like, you can't unforget, right? Exactly. Like, Exactly. Yeah. And so I want, in thinking about who she is, I do see her as a Leo Ooh. in terms of uh, Kat is interested in being the center of attention, uh, interested in taking up space, which is really great. And she also has, you know, some things she's thinking about. She's into the drama. She's into life in this way that makes some of her other choices seem inconsistent. Mm -hmm. So even as I'm saying that I see she's a Leo, again, we have that problem that we had with Maddie, that we have with Jules. It's like there are little things that happen in the story that take her out of a complete, fully developed character. Right. And again, this happens to the women and to McKay, but not to Nate. No, no, Nate is like, I was like, thinking about this podcast, I was like, oh, like, don't say so much about Nate, try to like, say less, and then I was like, it's impossible, like, this show is like, essentially about Nate, and then like, all the femmes around Nate, plus Kat, who's also pretty femme, so, but something that I was thinking about with Kat is that like, um, both Kat and Cassie's reaction to seeing that their like, videos and nudes um, had been posted by men, by boys, and, like, they know exactly which boy. Uh, Kat's reaction was, I think, I mean, both of their reaction is something that we could talk about, but, like, Kat's reaction first to, like, getting it removed, and the looming other overtone of the show is, like, how do child pornography laws interact with children, and how does it actually perhaps impact the lives of children who are exploring their sexuality and interacting with their sexuality, um, is it actually protecting them or is it actually being used as a weapon against them? Because it's Absolutely. like, these, like Nate is using it against Jules 5,000%. And then in that moment, Kat is using the law against McKay's younger brother. Um, so like, you know, two black um, mm-hmm. uh, boys in the show. Uh, but then when she, like, it, her interaction with the, with the leak, quote unquote, is interesting in that like when she realizes that this isn't it it wasn't posted to make fun of her but it was posted and is now creating 
sensation and like desire for her body she does interact with it in a different way absolutely and i I think that that's not a narrative we ever receive and not that i think that it's great that someone would pose something that you didn't mean to pose but i think that like that it just sets up a different conversation than like a conversation around like just immediate shame or you know collapse and like closure of like and 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 uh, this reinforcing that like women just shouldn't do this or like they they don't want men to xyz then like they just can't ever be vulnerable like exactly and i think she does something else with this that i think is that i found really kind of exciting in the form of the gray areas that are being developed and then cassie sort of interacting with her cachet her quote-unquote slut pages um by one you know immediately reacting to shame but then contextualizing her own experience as like the experience that all of her friends have anyway and then just kind of deciding that that is a better approach than like just complete shame wasn't really touched on very much other than that but I did think that that was interesting Mm -hmm. yeah so what would be interesting to me would Mm -hmm. be to have some writers who are women and some writers of color yeah who could bring some of these things to light yeah uh, because there's so much unexplored and I think there's so much potential for young women on this show to have more of a voice than they've had in other mediums Mm -hmm. but I do think that by actually having it mostly through Nate's vantage point (laughs) we don't get enough of what young women are going through or young queer women right because even though we know that Rue has feelings for Jules we're not really let into the interiority of that process like what does it mean Rue doesn't seem surprised at all that she likes Jules, a girl, but she is the first girl that we view her Mm. seeing. We have not progressed enough that, you know, a young queer girl is just automatically accepted and cool in her world. And, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious about how gender expression also is moving in this time and in this younger demographic. Right, right. And again, even as she is queer, this constant threat of sexual violence that is just the norm, that is just the water that these children are swimming in is really frightening to me. And I do think that there is an element of uh, boys do this, girls do this, that is just part of young people's lives now and as I was coming up but it does seem that like the level of violence Mm -hmm. has increased Mm -hmm. and that violence connected to sex has also become more clear and the way that these girls have just internalized it and do not actually feel like they need to uh, combat it or challenge it is is very disturbing to me. Well, yes, because there's almost no sense that you fight back. Yes. Right? There's no fighting back. Like, Jules doesn't fight back to Nate. And I'm not saying as a prescription. I'm right. not saying, like, you one should fight back or one's responsible. But 
in this fictional landscape, uh, Rue's sort of gesture of any kind of retaliation is that she goes to Fesco. Is that his name? The drug dealer? Oh, I don't remember. Um, a guy. And... Yes, Fesco. It was Fesco. And then, like... So she goes to a guy and then says that she wants to kill Nate or something and, like, needs a gun. And instead of that kind of... Like, what then happens is that Fesco takes it upon himself... Yes. ...to act on behalf of Rue... Yes. ...which then turns into his own spiral. Mm -hmm. But then, once again, it's like there are no... Like, none of the women, none of, like, the... None of the girls, like, they're not really... They're, they're just so passively reacting yes um in this once again fictional landscape and i'm not really sure that i believe that every single character would be like passively reacting absolutely i one i mean is especially like the dynamic that like jules didn't immediately tell um like the the plot line where like jules doesn't immediately tell rue that like this is what happened and share like to share some of her concerns right away as at least a way to sort of think out loud or process what's happened when she's being threatened by Nate um, using her own photos. Like, she's being threatened by Nate that, like, where, like, her sexuality is being, like, used yes. against her. Absolutely. To control her, wh what she does. Like, she doesn't tell Rue. And that's, like, I do, I don't think that that's, like a small detail I, think I don't like either a, and um and that like other than really maybe Maddie who I would say like she's perhaps like in control of herself in a very different way but she also when it comes to Nate's violent Nate and violence she doesn't she seems like not an active participant absolutely yeah I would add that the sex that we see on the show is just generally violent. Oh, like, yeah. there's no sex that we've seen that seems to be, with the exception of Kat and... The boy that she likes. Yes, the boy going down on her, and then just the making out of Jules mm -hmm. and the girl in New Ma York. Yeah. Like, there isn't a real... Sense of pleasure. Sense of pleasure that these women are deriving. It's all about how that helps the male character feel. So Jules' first experience with Dominant Daddy, also the way that Cassie experiences McKay and Maddie's experiences with Nate. Yeah. And sexual violence is the context, or porn is the context for all of those sexual encounters. And that, I think, is a bigger point to take away and also critique for what the show is going to become in the future. Mm. How do we think about young girls having a sexuality that is their own and is about pleasure and isn't about just reproducing what is seen on porn? Right, right. Because even, like, because the advantages of reproducing what's being seen on porn which is Maddie's like you know Maddie has just decided that like doing so will lead to a, a landscape in which she has power yes. some level of power yes um next to the guy that she wants to control which is like how she's decided is how power functions 
Um, and then everyone else is sort of like negotiating that thesis, perhaps. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think this is like a great first attempt. Yes. We assess that this is a great first attempt, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And we also assess that uh, clearly Euphoria is a show that we are deeply invested in, even as we are critical of it. Of course, we'll be watching season two. I think the criticality for me is just like, the closest anyone can get which means that it's like deep care oh absolutely like I care a lot I really want to know what happens to Jules and I want to know like if Jules and Rue are able to as the only two characters who are perhaps like working through like a queer formation of love like I want to know what happens to them and I care a lot about both of their characters my critique, our critique that we see so much of Nate is not that I want to see less of Nate even, but that like the overdevelopment or the development, not overdevelopment, the development of Nate, um, it, it can't come at the behest of the underdevelopment of other characters and that if race is really not considered, but it's actually embodied in a part of these characters' lives and there's no way to not touch that subject, especially if we are think we're supposed to think of these characters as like layered and complex. Yeah. Yes. And I would add too that for me, critique is definitely one of my love languages. <laughs> so I definitely feel like uh, I would not have spent, you know, two hours talking about this show uh, if I wasn't deeply invested in all of the people who yes. are in it. So we will link to the articles that we mentioned and the books that we mentioned, and um, hopefully there will be an episode two. Yes. Let us know what you think. Yes. Bye. Bye.